1 John chapter number 5. I am going to commence reading with verse 14, and I am going to conclude with verse 15. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The words of John is as follows. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. For a few minutes this morning, I want to preach from the subject, we have because he hears. We have because he hears. Take your seats and pray along with me. Our Father and our God, in the immaculate name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Father God, it's just great to be in your house of worship again this morning. Father God, we want to thank you for how you have blessed us, Father God. And we ask that you just simply move by your spirit, Father God, within the lives of everybody, within the sound of my voice. Father God, it is always my prayer that the words that will come forth from my mouth will be used for our education, edification, but most of all, your exaltation. It is always my prayer, Father God, that the words that will come forth from my mouth will move someone closer in their relationship with you. So, Father God, we again just thank you, Father God, and we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. We have because he hears. We have because he hears. The book of First John, the book of First John was written by the Apostle John. That is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. And the reason why John wrote First John is to refute the false teachers. Or one reason why he wrote this book was to refute the false teachings of the day. There were false teachings that were going around that were saying that Jesus never came to the earth, that Jesus never walked the face of the earth. So John wrote this book, 1 John, to refute those false teachings. John says, I seen him for myself. So it cannot be true what you are teaching because I seen and experienced Jesus Christ for myself. That is, Jesus Christ was, had an earthly form, but he also had a divine form. So that was one reason why John wrote 1 John chapter number 5. The other reason why he wrote John chapter, uh, well, 1 John would be that he wanted to let the world know that God is love. So if you were to read 1 John chapter number 4, the overall theme of 1 John 4 is a theme about love. You may even recall the message we preached earlier this year, a man you can fall in love with. That was from 1 John chapter number 4. So that was a couple of reasons why John wrote this book, but 
There are only five chapters in 1 John. And if you were to read those five chapters, you'll discover really that God is light. That's chapters one and two. God is love, chapters three and four. And God is life. God is life, chapter number five of 1 John. Now, there are four things, four broad things that John talked about in 1 John chapter number five. And I would sort of have broken up those four things into two separate and distinct subtopics. So on your outline, you'll see the breakdown of 1 John chapter number five, verses one through 12 of 1 John chapter number five. We read about and discover Christian conformity and certainty, Christian conformity and certainty. In verses 13 through 21, you read about and discover Christian confidence and compassion. Christian confidence and compassion. So Christian conformity and certainty, that's chapters, uh, 1 John chapter number 5, verses 1 through 12. And then Christian confidence and compassion, that is 1 John chapter number 5, verses 13 through 21. Now, to be a little bit more specific about what are the things or some of the things that John was talking about in 1 John chapter number 5, there are three specific things that John really delved into. John talked about test, T-E-S-T-S. John talked about test. John talked about testimonies. And then John also talked about transgressions. So John, more specifically, in 1 John chapter number 5, John more specifically talked about test testimonies, and transgressions. So what I want to do for a few minutes is just touch on really the test and the trans and the testimonies, the test and the testimonies. And both of those more specific topics relate to Christian conformity and certainty, as well as Christian confidence and compassion. So a question was posed, and a question really came from First John chapter five, verse number 13. Let me read that to you. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that is Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God, in the name of Jesus. So the question that is posed really by John in this chapter is, how do you really know if you are a Christian or not? How do you really know that you are born of God? That is the question that is really put forth by John in 1 John chapter number five. How do we really know that we are Christians? How do we know that we are Christians? Well, the answer to that question came in the form of five tests that were outlined really in the first five verses. We probably can attribute these five tests to other verses, but we'll just say we'll associate them with the first five verses of 1 John chapter number five. So let's see if we can answer the question. Let me see if I can give you five tests to help you determine, to help you determine if you conform, if you conform to Christianity, if you are really a Christian. There are five tests, and again, they come from really the first five verses. The first test you may want to write these down. The first test you want to, want to find out or try to answer is the loyalty test, the loyalty or faith test. You want to put in parentheses faith, the loyalty or faith test. That is, what do you 
believe. I would argue that if you fail this portion or this element, Sister Erica, you will fail the test all together. Sister Erica, know what I'm talking about. Yeah, in the law, you got to, there are certain elements to, to reach a certain standard to prove, to prove the law. So if, sometimes if, if you're unable to approve, let's say, one of the three elements, then your whole argument fails. So if you can't pass the loyalty test, that is the faith test, then I would argue that you may need to check whether you are conforming to Christianity. In fact, I would argue that you are not conforming to Christianity because the central belief of, or the central, uh, the overarching uh, theme of what uh, is based upon our belief or is based upon our faith. So ask yourself, what do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? So the number one is the loyalty test, the loyalty test. But the number two is the life test, the life test. So number one is the loyalty of faith test. Number two is the life test. What do I mean by the life test? Do you keep God's commandments? Do you keep God's commandments? 1 John 5, verses 2 through 3. We know the Bible declares that Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So the first test, again, is the loyalty or the faith test. The second test is the life test. The third test is the love test, the love test. And I know what some people are thinking. Yeah, I got, the, I got the loyalty test down. I got the loyalty test down. I got the life test down. I, I keep his commandments. But what about the love test? Do you love God? Most people would say, yes, I love God. But God adds a, a separate, a second sort of twist to, to, the, to the love test here because it's not all about, it's not only about, should I say, loving God, but God wants us to love our what? Our brothers and sisters. Is that right? God wants us to love our brothers and sisters. 1 John 4, verse 20 sometimes rules a lot of people out of this equation. Because this is what it says. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? See, a lot of people are going to have to check themselves there because I know a lot of people, especially in the Christian community, are going around talking about a certain figure that they, that they hate. And I said, oh, really? You really hate this individual? Really? And you call yourself a Christian? Okay. I digress. The loyalty or faith test. The life test. The loyalty or faith test. What do you believe? The life test. Do you keep God's commandments? The love test. Do you not only love God, but you love your brother and sister? How about this? The learning test. The learning or growth test. The learning test. Are you overcoming more and more? Have you learned from your mistakes or are you continually continuing to make the same mistakes over and over and over again? So growth is part of the learning test or growth. Having growth is part of figuring out whether you are really conforming to Christianity. 
So we have the loyalty or faith test. We have the life test. We have the love test. We have the learning test. Lastly, number five, we have the living, the living or sin test. The li living or sin test. So the question we have to ask ourselves, do we continue sinning? Do we continue sinning and think that it is acceptable? Do you sin and believe it is acceptable? My brothers and sisters, I want you to know that if you fall short, if you fall short and you don't feel good, you feel bad, you feel horrible, I would argue that, that that's the position that you should be in. If you find yourself doing some things that are ungodly and you don't feel any type of remorse, you are in trouble. You are in serious trouble. So I don't want you to beat yourself up when you do things that you should not do. And you, as long as at some point you feel bad about the things that you do that are ungodly or not Christ-like, so to speak, if you don't feel good about those things, then you are in a good position. All you need to do is repent and ask the Lord to help you further. So these tests help us determine whether we conform to Christian beliefs. And these tests also provide certainty according to 1 John chapter 5, verse number 12, which says, He who has the Son, that is Jesus, if you've got Jesus, you've got life, that is eternal life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So this conformity, this certainty leads to a certain confidence and a certain compassion. So as it relates to the testimonies, I'm really referring to the confidences that were put forth by John in this particular chapter. There were two confidences that were put forth by John in 1 John chapter number 5. We have two confidences. Number one, we have confidence concerning the saints of God. We should have confidence as saints of God. But the other confidence we should have is concerning the Son of God, a confidence concerning the Son of God. And John laid out three witnesses to prove that Jesus is God. And they are talked about really in uh, the first uh, John chapter number five, verses six through 11. In verse number seven, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. But in verse eight, he says there are three witnesses that bear witness. There are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. So the, the water, Jesus' baptism, the blood that he shed, and his spirit all bear witness to Jesus being on the earth. And again, the scripture says there were three witnesses that bear, or there were three that bear witness in heaven, and there were three that bear witness in or on earth. My brothers and sisters, I would argue that we can learn a lot from children. We can learn a lot from children. It seems to me that 
from the time they are born, they have this innate sense or appeal to the one like a mother or father who can meet their immediate need. Have you all noticed that? They, uh, kids, babies, especially newborn, they seem to have, the, they seem to know how to cry out and appeal to the one that can meet their need. And it seems to me that they do so with the understanding, expectation, and confidence that they are going to get what they are asking for. I mean, a baby just seems to know when to, when to cry to get what they want. I mean, they cry when they are hungry. They cry when they need to have their diaper chains. They just cry out. They know how to cry. But when a child gets old and begins to talk, often there is a word like mom or dad that precedes what they are going to ask for. Y'all ever notice that? A child always says mom and then ask. A child always says dad and then ask because they are appealing to the one that can meet their need. And in fact, I, Kim does not like when I say Kim. Kim does not like, I will say Kim 15 times, but I'm saying Kim, and by the way, there's no other name I want to call. Let's just get that straight. I only want to call Kim's name because I love Kim, and I know Kim can meet my immediate need. So while Kim may gets frustrated and upset. When we call on God, as many times we call on God, I'm so thankful that he does not get frustrated by us calling his name. But Kim gets frustrated. I say, Kim, 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 Kim. But I'm calling Kim. I'm calling Kim because Kim is available. Or oh, I know that Kim can meet that immediate need or desire that we have. So I would argue that we can learn a lot from children. We can learn a lot from, from uh, you know, really reducing ourselves to, to babes. In fact, the Bible talks about us being babes. The Bible talks about us being, being born again, being uh, things, all things being made new. Sometimes we do have to reduce ourselves to the mindset of, of a child in order, in order for us to really experience, I would argue, experience the, the realness of who God is and to, to get the things that we desire and, and need from him. In fact, Pastor, Pastor Stratford, and we've experienced this, but Pastor Stratford always talks about his baby girl, Nora. If you all get to, ever got to know Nora, and, we've, and we, we kept her quite a bit, Nora will ask and ask and ask and ask until she gets what she wants. And in fact, Pastor Stratford talks about how, how if she calls on him and, or she calls on her mother and it doesn't seem like they're asking, she'll go get directly in their face. And if, he, if he's not paying, looking her directly in the eye, then he talked about how she would turn his head so that so that 
she made sure that he heard her, right, that he, that she got his attention. And I believe that's what 1 John chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 is all about. Because what it does, it really gives us confidence that God hears and answers our prayer. God hears and answers our prayer. We are promised to receive the petitions. Those, those are the prayers, those things that we ask for according to 1 John verse 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. So we have because he hears. What do we have because God hears? According to 1 John 5 and 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything specifically, the key words, according to his will, he hears us. Let me read that slowly again so that I can resonate. Now, this is the confidence. Now, this is from John, who bear witness, or who bore, I think that's right, bore, bore witness, is that right, Erica? Bore witness to Jesus on earth. John says, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, according to his will, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So number one, we have reassurance because he hears. We have reassurance. We have confidence. We have reassurance because he hears. Reassurance, confidence, reassurance because he hears. First John 5 and 14. 1 John 5 and 15 says, And if we know that he hears us, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions, that is the prayers, those things that we ask. We have the petitions that we have asked of him. So number one, we have reassurance because he hears. But then number two, we have rewards. We have rewards because he hears. What are the rewards? The rewards are those things that we have asked him for. Think about that, brothers and sisters. We have reassurance. We have confidence. We have reassurance because he hears. And we also have rewards. We have rewards because he hears. So let me read this so that I'll make sure I don't forget any word. If we know that God hears us, and we know that if we ask according to his will, we will receive those petitions we ask for, then why aren't we seeking God more? If we know that God hears us and we know that we ask, if we ask according to his will, we will receive those petitions we ask for. If we know that God hears us and we know that if we ask according to his will, 
we will receive what we were asking for, then why aren't we seeking God more? I would argue that we should become as children again. If we know that if we ask God according to his will, that he hears us and we're going to receive those things that we ask for, then why aren't we seeking God more? That is the question that was posed to me. And I would say, personally, I think I should be seeking God more. I mean, multiple times during the day, I'm praying, I'm, I'm talking to God, I'm maybe studying the word, I'm doing, I'm doing something related to the body of, of Christ. But what if I could steal just a little, another 15 or 20 minutes of my day to just seek out the Lord? What do you think might happen? Surely it's another opportunity for me to get my petitions out there or to let my petitions be, be known. We ought to be making our petitions known all the time. Every opportunity we get because the Bible tells me that if we conform to Christianity, as I, as I have presented to you, the Bible tells me that God hears us. And that as long as we are asking according to his will, he will grant the petitions that we have asked for. So in closing, I say, why aren't we seeking God more? Everyone standing. <clears throat>